Welcome to the No Chance Radio Show, a podcast about the world of streetwear, fashion, and everything and anything else. And we're back. Episode 95 of the No Chance Radio Show. That's NCR. I want to welcome you back to another week of streetwear banter led by yours truly. This is Ryan, if you didn't already know. And this is your co-host Mel. What's up guys? Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. Happy White Claw Wednesday. Well, this is for us that are recording. We're celebrating Wing Wednesday, White Claw Wednesday. Uh, We're just having fun enjoying the fucking (laughs) day, man. It's almost the end of the week. And uh, well, I mean, at least for you guys that are listening, it is the end of the week. So congratulations for getting this far. I want to let everyone know first, you know, everyone that's listening, that we truly appreciate your support and undivided attention. Well, I mean, to actually, to be honest, like I don't know what half you guys are actually doing while you're listening <laughs> to our episodes. Um, I've heard everything from, you know, driving in the car. That's pretty normal. Um, mm-hmm. I've been, you know, walking my dog and listening to podcast episodes. Uh, I've gotten the occasional listening to you guys while I'm on the shitter. That's a, a pretty consistent one. Um, so yeah, please like, comment on, on the episode on SoundCloud and let us know where the hell you're listening to this episode um, exactly at the timestamp that you're listening at. And let us know because I don't know, that shit sounds bizarre to listen to it anywhere other than work, commute, and maybe eating dinner. I don't know. <laughs> Any other setting just sounds weird. Um, but yeah, I'll just kind of leave that alone and let you guys sort of figure that out. Um, but we do have some announcements to make. August 24th for all of our San Francisco natives Bay Area. We have an event at 111 Minute Gallery. This is kind of like a, um, what do you call, like almost like a like a mini dream, a mini <laughs> dream event for us. It's a, a venue yep. that we frequent. We've been frequenting and, and going to for, you know, pretty much all of our, 21 and up lives mm-hmm. um it's it, it's a, a a huge opportunity for us to to take our uh, our what used to be fourth friday of the month event the payout to a larger stage a larger venue um just more people in general mm-hmm. uh so we can fit a lot more of you guys so if you are in the Bay Area, if you are visiting San Francisco, August 24th, that is a Saturday. Please come out. We're going to be at 111 Minute Gallery and we got, oh my God, an amazing lineup for you guys. Some some names that you may know of, some names you may not know of, um, but it's all going to be a great experience. So we uh, we hope you guys make it, make, it, uh, make it out. That is August 24th. If you guys want to get tickets, that's at payout.eventbrite.com. That's P-A-Y-O-U-T. I don't need to spell eventbrite uh, <laughs> dot com, so please yeah, go there get your <laughs> and buy some damn tickets. Come say hi to us too. A quick question to those that are listening: Did any of you actually go and read any of the articles <laughs> that we talked about? Any of the interviews that we talked about? To be honest, I listened to I listened to the full extent of the High Snobiety one that you mm-hmm. had mentioned. That one was really good. I did actually end up reading the entire Supreme um, GQ article. I read that one all the way through. That that was really good. Um, and I'd say like coming out of that, I'd say like, yeah, I have a, I have a newfound love for Supreme. I, um, it, I'll just give you guys a quick spark notes of, of, of what that 
sort of how that article played out, but they had the opportunity of getting some words from James Jebbia. He's the, the owner and founder of Supreme. He also opened up the first union in New York, mm-hmm. funny enough. And, and, um, kind of like the Christopher Columbus of the, of the streetwear world. Uh, I, maybe Christopher Columbus is kind of like a dated, <laughs> a dated reference, but he's one of those people that, so many people fall off of that tree that have gone on to do amazing things, mm-hmm. start amazing brands and kind of um, pave the way for what streetwear is today. But they had the opportunity of not interviewing him, but sending him questions and him kind of like answering them. You know, when you send out like a work email, it's just, it's like, hey, such and such answers in red. Like that's literally <laughs> what it is. Um, it's just literally answering the questions. But he kind of talked about like what his what. Supreme aims to do and what they focus on in terms of how they are able to maintain such a a renowned brand name and how they've gotten to this point, you know, after all of those years. And it's and he literally laid it out and just said, we pay attention to, to what the consumer wants. And I'm like, that's funny. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it makes sense, but it also does not make any sense. Supreme tends to make stuff that a lot of people would consider to be outlandish. Mm -hmm. And I'm speaking solely for the accessories, Um, the clothing wise, there's literally something for everyone, which is um, when it comes to streetwear, not a lot of brands are able to cover the entire spectrum of what a consumer is, right? Like they focus on the consumer that has all of the, the buying power. That's the millennials of our, of our age, mm-hmm. but they don't consider the older people who are maybe like, I don't know, what, do you, what would you consider like an older person? There's older celebrities that could be, that have disposable incomes that we're looking to spend money. They don't typically want the camp caps and the backpacks. They want the denim or the cardigans and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was interesting reading that and him sort of describing what that consumer base was and how, how they sort of craft their look and craft what they release based on consumers in general, not just the skater or the person with money. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting, but I, that's a, a quick spark notes of the article. Like we said in the last episode, please go to read that. Cause that shit was amazing. Um, one of the things I want to talk about real quick, and it's actually quite depressing is, and this was, this was an article that I came across, uh, and, I didn't actually prepare you for this, Melanie, but this was something that I wanted to talk about before. Completely unrelated to streetwear, completely unrelated to, well, actually, it is related to life in general. But did you know, and this, I'm reading the title word for word, we just used up all of the Earth's resources for the year, and it's only July. No way. This is true. This is a fact. We've used up all of our resources Earth's resources. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. our resources. Yeah. Mother Earth, Earth's resources for the year. Damn. What is that? Okay. Can you please help me like understand what that means for ourselves? Like there isn't like a resources savings account. <laughs> you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? So where that? So where do our resources come from? This is like a geology 101. But what does that mean? When, when, when you read a title like that. That, oh, that it speaks volumes for sure because um, majority of our resources are natural. So that's like what, like water, yeah um, fossil fuels. What else do we take from the earth? We take everything 
um, does that include like agriculture and stuff? Mm, I wouldn't say agriculture. I'd say like, I'd say like actual, like legitimate resources. So let's say like the amount of, would you say like, I don't know how to, how to quantify energy mm-hmm. for, for the earth, but essentially what it says is, um, July 29th, which is two days from today, it it marks Earth Overshoot Day, officially called Earth Overshoot Day, the date in which we've burned through the amount of resources our planet can renew in a year. Oh my God. So essentially what, what that's saying is that in order for us to get through the entire rest of the year, we would need an Earth and another three-fourths of an <laughs> Earth just to get through the rest of the year. So my question is, what the fuck are we using all these resources on? Everything. Like what? A lot of it is like um, consumable goods. So soft goods. Um, a lot of it's plastic. Um, we use up a lot of energy for gasoline and um, just to power just everything on the earth. Okay. My, okay. Th- this is my question. I think that ha- that consists of potentially like gasoline. No. What? Oil. That's yeah. a that's an earth yeah. resource, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm just thinking, because when I when I hear we've used up all of our resources, I'm not cooking my food with carbon dioxide. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. actual earth resource. So where where does it all fall under as like being the essential resource? And I'm I'm gonna look this up. What are Earth's resources i know you guys are thinking this is stupid as shit <laughs> but i really want to know and um this does tie into streetwear it, we, and we, we will get we, to that. Yeah. that that will definitely get to that okay examples of natural resources air i still have a shit ton of air i don't know what they're talking about <laughs> water i can understand that wood mm. There's a tree like a couple blocks up from my house that hasn't been chopped down yet. Oil, okay, I get it. Wind energy, wind is like there's wind every day. Wind in the bay, so it's just always windy. Natural gas, I get it. Iron and coal, coal, okay. Iron, okay, I get it. But there's a lot of like, like I don't know what to call the person that's causing wind, but there's a lot of that, and to think that. That's what being used up. It doesn't make any sense. Okay. If you think about it, people use windmills to power factories and shit. So that's where the resources are going there. You're using those natural resources like the wind to power a windmill that can power a factory to give energy to a whole small town. I think it's hard for us to grasp because we live in San Francisco. We're in a very metropolitan city. True. You know, we're not in the middle of like Kentucky or we're not like in a third world country. So we are very spoiled with our resources here, but we are also probably one of the main causes of why there's no more resources in the world. Do you think something like global warming is real? Yeah. Hell yeah. Do you like, we've had a hundred degree summers and we, it's never hot in San Francisco and we've had those days. You know, like it, it could just be hot. No, that doesn't, not a thing in SF. We have Indian summer for a reason. I don't know what that reason is, but like we've had random days where it's just been flooding or it's been hella windy and just hot. I believe it. It's a thing. Do you remember when Supreme resale prices were non-existent? 
you remember maybe in like 2009, 2010, people weren't paying, I don't know, a thousand plus for a box logo hoodie, mm -hmm. maybe like 400, maybe like 500, but they weren't paying a thousand two hundred. That essentially means that, you know, that didn't exist at one point, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Maybe it's just a new time and 100 degree summers are just the now the new thing. <laughs> I thought you were going to go deeper than that. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like like think of think of the weather patterns and the, uh, the 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 temperature increase as like the resale market. Nobody knew that this shit was going to be 100 degrees, but now that it is, what are we going to blame it on? So do you not believe in global warming? I do believe in global warming. Okay. I do believe that the polar ice caps are melting, that polar bears are now They have no in. homes. Doesn't Coca-Cola go in like a <laughs> <Shut> top <up>. them? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, okay. In, in all realness, of course, I believe in global warming. And there is a sense of like, we have this carbon footprint that we essentially leave on the world, depending on how we engage in our day-to-day -day activities, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, we always talk about sustainability, especially when it's in streetwear. And I think in terms of the total amount of, let me, let me just look this up. The total amount of, of pounds of, of, of clothing that I think that we've, we've sort of, uh, every year they have a number, mm -hmm. right? Of, of how much clothing that we've produced in, Shit. In the year? In the year. They say it's more than about 15 million tons of used textile waste is generated each year in the U.S. Yikes. In That's the U.S. The US. <laughs> <laughs> and the amount has doubled over the past 20 years, right? So that goes to say, for those that are listening, don't start that new brand. Don't, <laughs> don't drop that new t-shirt collection. No, I'm just kidding. But, 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 in, all, but in all seriousness, th this whole carbon footprint, this whole um, idea of global warming does in a way, stem back to the amount of waste that we are consistently using within this industry of streetwear. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of people do a lot of cool things with with uh, with their their brands in the streetwear in the name of sustainability. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's in the name of global warming, but in the name of sustainability. And they do really cool things. They've printed on existing vintage tees with their own screen print, right? Um, making it not only a one-of-one one exclusive t-shirt, but also saving the environment, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of brands that advocate for sustainability and for the environment, advisory board crystals, they'll do collections that all the money and the proceeds go back to a specific organization. Like that's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, where was I going with this? I think this essentially comes back and ties back to the polar bears. <laughs> okay, no, you know what? Let's stay, let's, let's stay away from this. Today is, or not today, I would say two days ago is National Overshoot Day. Shout out to you if you are turning off your lights at seven o'clock in the afternoon, if um, you know how to turn the gas off on your stove, if you're not wasting electricity, shout out to you for contributing back to our demise. <laughs> okay, um, we had a, a um, a fan, do I call them fans? We had a supporter. Yeah, let's say that. Go. We had a supporter reach out to Melanie the other day. Shout out to Roman God. Shout out to you. I said I wasn't going to say, <laughs> I wasn't going to call someone Roman God, but here I am calling you Roman God. But you asked us a question. I want to address it because it's a really good, you make a really good point and I, I want others to, to hear this as well to join the debate. But you basically asked, how would we feel 
us, me, me and me and Melanie, if we, if a brand we knew was from a country like Canada, through the design and the aesthetics and maybe even you know the the pieces were from Canada, Canadian fleets is obviously really big. Would we still fuck with it? And I would say like in comparison to the aesthetics of like Japanese and European streetwear, mm-hmm. does it make a difference? Is there something about Canada that would deter us? Is there something about any other country that would deter us from a particular streetwear brand? I have my take. You want to go first? Um, personally, I don't think it's going to affect my buying power. Um, I support any brand anywhere. I kind of ha- I kind of hold like Canadian brands to America, like USA made brands. I feel like the quality is really top tier. So um, if I knew a brand was from Canada, like props to them, you know? I don't know if I would like definitely like buy it off the bat, but I would like I would look into it. I would consider buying it, but I, it wouldn't shy me away just because I know it's a Canadian based brand and their stuff is from Canada. That will not affect me at all to buy something. I agree. I'm right. I'm, I'm right there with you with that opinion. It, it, the geographical location does not matter to me at all. Oftentimes. You know, when you see a brand and they're advocating the city or the country or region that they're coming from, mm-hmm. if anything, it just gives me a context about the brand. It doesn't, it, I don't form any natural judgments about the brand on whether or not I buy it because it's based out of Chicago, because it's based out of LA. If it aesthetically looks like what I would purchase, if it's at the right price point, if it's nice, <laughs> right, yeah. then I'm going to buy it. And You know, I think people have to get away from this mindset of thinking that geographical location plays a role into what they produce. Mm -hmm. And this goes for things outside of clothing, right? Now, you have to contrast that with the idea of, okay, this is a Japan exclusive. This is a New York exclusive. This is a Paris exclusive. I feel like when you get to a certain echelon in this industry or any industry, right, having a geographical exclusive product only really works if you're popping. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like you can't you can't worry so much about being a Canada only brand or Canada focused brand. Now, if you were like at one point a worldwide name, a even like a domestic, well, I was going to say countrywide name, but Canada is just all of Canada. <laughs> but I mean like a Northern American Western Hemisphere name mm-hmm. and everyone knew of you. And then you said this product will only be released in Canada. Then you have people talking about it. Then mm-hmm. you have people buzzing about it. Look at someone like Verdi, right? Verdi of Girls Don't Cry. A Japanese-based designer based out of, um, I'm just going to say Japan because I don't know the actual uh, uh, place that he's originally from, but he does a lot of stuff in Japan and mm-hmm. a lot of it is limited to Japan, Yeah, but that's not because he doesn't give a shit about the rest of the world or the rest of the country. It's because he's focusing and honing in on where he lives. Yeah. <laughs> like like yeah. it's not a, it's not about exclusivity with him. It's about this is where I'm from. This is the type of people that have supported my brand from day 1. This is the people that have built me up to get on the hype beast, to get my brand on, you know, in in the, in the complex con and, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. You have to focus on 
I'm just going to say your neighborhood. You have to build your support group within the area that you're from, because if it doesn't work there, why would you think it works anywhere else? Yeah. You know? So when you ask the question of, you know, does can does being from Canada make a difference? It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. If you have a good product, you have a great narrative, you have a great price point. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's just me. You will succeed. Mm-hmm. And that is just a testament of any brand that's done anything, right? Los Angeles doesn't make it any different from starting a brand than in San Francisco. You have social media, you have email access, you have I don't know, people still have yellow books, but you could call whoever you want nowadays, right? Yeah. And you could make that connection happen organically. And I think that if you are a designer, if you are trying to start a brand and you're from a a random flyover state or some <laughs> random country, I know we have a lot of uh, UK and European listeners listening, but it doesn't matter about your location. Create a great product, create a great narrative, market the shit out of it, get it in front of the right people and build that community around it locally where you live. And I think mm-hmm. that is the, um, that's the secret, like that's the magic recipe of like how to make it all happen. Now it's not going to work for everyone, mm-hmm. right? Or else you'd see every streetwear brand that's, that comes out of wherever making it big. But what do you think it is about the brands? Like, and I'm going to use examples of like, Anti-social social club. Um, who else? Another another young small brand. Have you ever heard of Midnight Studios? Mm-hmm. Midnight Studios, um, or even like a like Verdi's brand, Girls Don't Cry. What do you think it is about them? Whether it is from the other two brands being from LA or Verdi being from Japan, mm-hmm. what do you what traits or qualities do you think helps them ascend in this industry? Um, they know the right people. They good for point. sure have a good circle behind them who back them up. Um, also they are marketing to millennials. They know how to market to kids who have money and Facts. that's kind of how they became pop and you just kind of see it. They're also kind of obscure. Like when I first saw girls don't cry, I'm just like, huh, I'm a girl and I do cry, but you know, it's <laughs> fine. Like it made me want to buy it because I'm like, hey, I can relate to that brand. Yeah. Or even like anti-social, social social club. It was just like, that's so ironic, it's kind of cool. You know, so like those brands do really well at just branding and just making a name for themselves. And that's how they kind of made it to the top. Yeah, and and another thing I think was, was really important on top of just being in the right place at the right time is essentially finding those, those nooks where you, you, you have to fit in. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Neek obviously comes from working. Neek is the, um, the, I guess the owner, the founder of Antisocial Social Club based mm-hmm. out of Los Angeles. He worked at Stussy, right? He was on the message boards, in the conversation, showing people his brand on Nike Talk and things of that nature, or Hypebeast forums, I'm not sure which. But be in the presence of the industry that you wanna be around constantly tell people this is what I do this is what I make this is how talented I am and it it's going to work yeah. and we've experienced that in the in in being a testament of of being in the right place at the right time being around the people that we essentially want to be one day mm-hmm. um, it does take a little bit of like jumping out of your comfort zone 
to make that happen. But it does make a fucking difference. You want to be in the streetwear industry? You got to be in the streetwear industry, right? You Mm want to be in the events, party industry? Go to the fucking parties, right? Like that's how you get into the world of of whatever you want to do. Ask anybody, ask any of the pioneers of the early streetwear industry when New York was popping, when Soho was just on the rise of, of of all the big brands of that time, the Stussy, the A-Life, the fucking Supreme, like all those people in that circle were there. Like yeah. that's how that, that, that industry, that's how that culture started. They were just there. They were all together. Each person in that in that world has started their own brand, has become some sort of famous celebrity, somehow, some way, director, photographer, whatever, all by just being around the culture that makes them the most excited. And um, now my question, and let's, I'll have you answer this. What if there is no culture in my actual geographical location? What if it's not popping? What if there are no cool crowds where I live in Kentucky or some <laughs> shit, you know? Then you make it. Like if you really like want to be a part of that community and that culture, just go out there, maybe start a club at your local college and say, hey, you know, if you want to make a brand, join this club with me and let's talk about making a brand together. Or, yeah. you know, like have a group of friends and maybe have a discussion and make a podcast too. Like just, there's there has to be at least one other person you can talk to because how did you get into that if you're from those areas? True. So there are other people just like you searching for that 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 longing for a community. So go out there and make it or just find it. But it it exists everywhere. It's just you're not looking in the right area. I areas. agree with that. For the longest time I've always been like a keyboard warrior, right? Behind mm-hmm. the behind my computer on the forums, talking to people consistently, eventually creating relationships with people online. Um but I never took it any farther than that. If you listen to all of the amazing stories about some of your favorite rappers or some of your favorite um, like influencers and how they met the people that they met, it was all from like MySpace, Facebook, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Hey, you have the same interests as me. Hey, you're cool. Hey, we have cool conversations. Let's meet up. Let's make something of it. You know yeah. what I mean? I was just, um, I think it was... Tyler, the creator, right? He talks about the origins of how he met some of the early founding members of Odd Future was through MySpace, mm-hmm. right? It was, I put my music up. Somebody said, hey, I like your music. Yo, are you in LA? Let's meet up. Um, who's another person? He's a rapper. Uh, YBN Corday. You know who that is? Yeah. He's a rapper. He met the entire crew that he raps with through social media. Or no, not even through social media, through online gaming chat rooms. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's crazy, right? You're Mm -hmm. playing Call of Duty with someone. Next thing you know, you're like, let's meet up. Okay, now we're on tour together. Like, just imagine how that works. So there is no... There's no excuse. There's no barrier anymore. Dude, you know, like, put yourself out there and and meet like-minded people. And if there's any ounce of what you like in them and you can sense it, then why not take yeah. take take a stab at it? I don't mean stab them, but I mean like take <laughs> take a stab at making that relationship happen. But um, shoot your shot. Shoot. 
shoot your shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we use that term fairly loosely. We do. <laughs> so shoot, that, shoot your shot. Um, but let's get into some topics uh, because we went kind of crazy <laughs> with that one. Um, but I want to talk about this this piece here, which I think is kind of kind of interesting. And we don't always typically talk about politics, but you know, sometimes we do. Not to say that we're on any particular side. Fuck Trump. But you know, they, <laughs> you know how things go. Um, but essentially. Um, do you know what a tariff is? It's a tax on um, incoming goods, right? Yes, okay. that is correct. That is, uh, is that econ- economics 101, essentially? Or yeah, no? I guess. Yeah, yeah for, for the most part. Um, but we were talking about Puma recently, right? And um, there's a lot of brands, obviously, as we know. Everything in their existence is made in China. Mm-hmm. That is... Kind of like, I don't, I've never, well, I've been to Hong Kong, but that's not like where you, where uh, apparel and textile manufacturing exists, right? So in these, some, some of these smaller cities, but from the videos and pictures that I've seen, it's literally like, imagine the, 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 the largest swap meet you've ever been to, but it's just all textiles. Every material, every roll of yarn, everything you can imagine is there. You go there, you pick it out, you buy it, boom, you buy it by the pound and you make your shit. What they're doing now and sort of what we read about within this article, you know, uh, released by Bloomberg is essentially brands like Puma, brands like Nike, brands like Adidas. They're seeing higher costs from uh, from our celebrity in chief, (laughs) Donald (laughs) Trump, his enacting of, you know, trade tariffs on top of things like and footwear being the biggest thing. So what that essentially means is that anything that, as as Melanie said, coming into America is going to be taxed the fuck up. Almost, I think what they're they're saying essentially maybe like upwards of twenty five percent or more. Holy shit! Right. So, how do I put this into math? So, let's say Nike orders a hundred shoes, or a th- nah, that's a, that's a really small order. Say like a thousand shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Each individual shoe coming over to America, unit per, uh, a cost per unit is about, let's say about $7, right? Mm-hmm. And Nike charges that shoe for $100, $160. Now say instead of now $7, it goes up a quarter of that. Now it goes to $11. That's about a quarter, I'd say, a little bit higher than a quarter. But now... The ratio of what seven dollars was to one hundred sixty. Now calculate that from eleven dollars to what could potentially be one hundred ninety, mm-hmm. one hundred eighty. Mm-hmm. Now what we're paying for retail is beyond what we would ever think we'd pay for an individual shoe. Now t- tell me what you told me earlier about the Air Jordan One. Um, like I don't know when it started. Well, so okay, last week the Defiant Jordan One came out. It's like the the black Jordan One with the swoosh that was kind of unsewn and there was a random yeah, yellow the one. Most recent Air Jordan the most one. recent one. Yeah. So I, I guess starting with that Jordan 1 and now moving forward for the rest, the the new price for Jordan 1s is now 175 retail. And when Ryan told me about this article, that's what I thought of first. Like, oh, is that why Nike did that? Because the, the tariff went higher? It makes sense, but Maybe. that sucks. You know, 175 for a pair of ones retail, that's a lot. Now that means the resale is not going to be as high. The historical context of that price in originally retailing when it was first released in 1985 was $80. <laughs> they, Nike Shit. 
in sort of knowing some of the backstory, Nike said that they would never go over pricing that individual shoe, the Air Jordan 1, for double the price. And now it is one in one fifteenth of the price. Yeah. I don't know. But that's insane. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we've seen the cost of of goods and, and we've talked about Noah being very transparent in how they've advertised the increase in their their goods based on things of, you know, the the price of textiles, the uh, the um, employment wage rate going up, things of that nature, all these mm-hmm. different factors playing into why the price has to go up, which is fine. I love the transparency, but in, in actuality, in 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 actually purchasing shit, we do see the effect played on us. You know yeah. what I mean? It does affect us. Now, my question is. Elections are coming up in 2020. Are any of our politicians, I don't care what side you're rooting for, Democrats, Republicans, Green Party, I don't know what the fuck is (laughs) Uh, unbeknownst to me, I don't know what other parties there are. Are any politicians advocating for lower sneaker tariffs? (laughs) Is that on the ballot? And where can I vote for that? Is that a thing? Probably know. not. No. <laughs> <laughs> but what, just let, let's let's look into the future for a second. Okay. Let's say the tariffs come to town. Our products that we know and love. Luckily for us, we have a a uh, very generous Nike swoosh account for <laughs> a discount, uh, so we don't really see the the effects of it. But. For those of you that are like Melanie, that are camping out for shoes, paying full price, um, what? How does that affect your purchasing mindset when it comes to seeing a shoe that you're okay with paying 160 plus tax ends up being like 170, but when that shoe ends up being 175 plus tax, almost being 200, mm-hmm. now that's a different story. Yeah. What does that mean for you, not only as a purchaser, a consumer, but also as a reseller? As a purchaser, it makes me a little more hesitant to buy something. It makes me think about what I'm buying before pulling the trigger. Um, also, uh, yeah, so like that just sucks, you know? Who wants to pay more money for the same thing they bought for over like how many years now? True. It sucks. So that really sucks. Um, my hope is that if they do raise the price, the quality goes up. Highly doubt that's a thing, yeah. but ideally as a purchaser, as a consumer, I would love to see the quality of goods go up with the price, but we all know that's not a thing. To be honest, yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening. I don't see that mm-hmm. I, I don't see that being being a part of it, you know? I think of it in the sense of like we I'm going to go all the way back. You remember when McDonald's first released their dollar menu? That was hella years ago. Hella years ago. But each item on the dollar menu was exactly, well, with tax, a dollar and seven cents. Mm -hmm. You can get a chicken sandwich. You can get four-piece chicken nuggets. You can get a double cheeseburger. um, Whatever you want. Any size drink for a a dollar or something like that. Mm -hmm. But as time went on, obviously, the amount that they needed to pay employees goes up. Uh, other mon- economical issues take place and price has to go up. Now, that dollar menu turns into the $1, $2, and $3 menu. Yeah. I think with gradual increase, we're a little 
a little more inclined to buy the product. But nowadays when I go to a McDonald's and I see a McChicken that I was once paying a dollar seven for, and now they're charging me three dollars, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Yeah. And so when you speak about shoes in that way, and when you when you when you think about shoes, you, you say, okay, 170 doable, mm-hmm. right? I haven't spent 170 on a pair of shoes in a long time. <laughs> but 170 for a pair of shoes doable. Now, once you hit that two mark, I think with anybody with shoes, once you hit that two mark, that's a whole nother ball game. Yeah. And that will really, really deter people from buying shoes. But do you think people are going to, I wouldn't say boycott because there's still people that have the money to buy the shit. But do you think you're going to see a, a downward trend of consumers when it comes to certain brands, especially with the price rising? Yeah. And going back to like you asking me about how it's going to affect reselling, I think that this is also going to tank the market for reselling as well, because you're going to see a lot of shoes flood the market and no one's going to buy them. So the prices are going to go down, Mm. which is going to just make them sit forever. And that's going to add to the waste we're adding into. Damn it. (laughs) It all comes back to global warming. (laughs) Mother nature, we're sorry. But damn, like that's just the reality of it. Yeah. And we we talked about it, uh, about how the resale market, the uh, the hype machine, eventually it, it's got to hit a peak. Mm-hmm. It has to. There's. I get I, I get that, you know, things like stocks and, and things like that. But history has a weird way of repeating itself. And there is nothing in this world that I know of, at least, that has ever been able to increase to a point to where it sees no ceiling. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin, (laughs) I mean, come on guys, Bitcoin, like that is a prime example of people having high expectations for something that essentially didn't really work out the way that they thought that it would. Yeah, There was a moment where people were cashing in the same way that people are cashing in on those shoes, but at what point do we start to realize that these shoes that were made for $7, $8, sold for about $120, are now worth $700? When will we start actually being able to do the math? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Okay, you tell me. At what point do you think that reselling would be over? What factors have to take place for it to be done? Um, uh, obviously... Um, a shift in the economy will make a difference. So, you know, like how we saw with the house, the housing market a couple of years ago, yeah. that can happen with shoes and clothes. You know, like when our priorities realign with living compared to True. just things we want, that's going to make a difference. Maybe in, I don't even know, like I can't even predict the future, but hi- hype is hype for a reason. And I do believe that even StockX has an expiration date. It might be in 10 years. Who knows? I think there's a correlation with social media. Now, if if Instagram went down for a month, guaranteed the amount of consuming that people would do, whether it's through resale or purchasing in general, Mm it would go down substantially Yeah, because we all know that the primary reason, and we always link it back to clothes and why it is the, why we wear the things that we wear. Half of it has to do with our, our psyche. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We, we purchase clothes 
for the intention of being attractive for one, um, looking as if we have our shit together uh-huh. and almost in a sense being knowledgeable, you know, it, it is a testament of, of, of being in the know mm-hmm. and everybody wants to be in the know. Nobody wants to be left out. Nobody wants to feel as if they don't know what the hell is going on in the world. Because if you're clueless, you're lost mm-hmm. and nobody wants to feel clueless in, in, in all of this. And information has always been the number one commodity within this industry because if you have the information, you can start your own streetwear brand. You know where to get all, you source all the clothes. You know how to make the graphics. You know how to do everything. You know where this shop is dropping shit, how to buy it, what secret person to talk to. Information is key. So if you don't have the information, then you're, you're kind of shit out of luck in this in this community. But I would say that if social media went down, I was I was gonna say consummation, but that's not the word. <laughs> consuming in general would go down yeah i agree with that and it's it's a it's a it's a crazy realization because you know in the beginning when there was no social media when uh when when streetwear and and sneaker heads when sneaker heads were still you know really immature or not immature but very in its infancy stage Mm -hmm. it was successful and that's because it, it relied solely on things that were, I guess the term is like, you couldn't take it away. Like the, like you couldn't, you couldn't take away like somebody who wanted to learn. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. You couldn't take away the hustle of mm-hmm. somebody, right? It took, you know, street smarts. It took, you know, Stepping outside of your comfort zone. Like these are our life, life, not hacks, but they're just like life traits that live outside of just the sneaker community or just the streetwear community, right? Mm-hmm. You learn how to find out information. Like that's an important part of life and just know, learning how to know things, yeah. right? And with social media, it puts us in the back seat of being able to say like, who is it right now? Um, what's that 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 uh, that, inst- that that Twitter handle that everyone has the uh, notifications set up to know when shoes are coming out or when the uh, sneaker drops? J twenty three app. J twenty three app, or uh, there's another one that's like sneakers and something, but. We rely on that. Mm-hmm. Once we get the, the the auto notification, we go to the site, click the link, and we purchase it. Hopefully, yeah. we get lucky and we buy it. But it doesn't take any sort of like intuition to do that on our own anymore. Yeah, there's no research behind it. It's just handed to us. Exactly, exactly. So all the traits that some of the earlier people learned, and we, we've had the opportunity to be around some of those people and working at our previous job, but some of the people that have been you know, ingrained in that industry, they've gone on to essentially start their own brand with that information. Mm-hmm. Kids nowadays, they don't have that information. It's not stored in their head, right? They, ha- they The bot is collecting all the information. <laughs> They're not collecting all the information. Yeah. And so knowing that social media plays a big role into, into why this industry is so successful at this point, I would... I would like to see what that looks like on the down, on the down downward slope of of social media. I want to I want to see what it looks like. 
I want to see who's able to keep up with 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 what's going on, you know. But what? Okay, but across the landscape, what does what does streetwear look like without social media? Right now, without it, with mm. think of, think of it in the future, like no social media. What does streetwear look like? It's gonna go back to its roots, hopefully. You know, where you just see a group of people who are just really passionate about this one thing and they just make it all about that. So hopefully we just see a lot of like people like us educating the new generation on. Yeah. Hey, I think the community (laughs) comes back together. Yeah. I think that in order to know, you got to be around people that do know. Mm -hmm. And the only person that does know is the best friend of the owner of the shop or the best friend of the, of the person that's selling the shoes or something of that nature. Right. So you got to be around it. Mm -hmm. Think about shops like in, you know, in early, early mid two thousands, like the huffs and the truths, people were just hanging out there. That's how you find out shit. That's how you, 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 you become in, in, you get in the know Mm -hmm. things of that nature. Um, so I, th- I just think it's kind of funny to to see sort of the correlation of these higher tariffs and relating to higher prices. And eventually, as as we've covered in a very early episode, that bubble is going to pop mm-hmm. at some point in time. It is going to pop. And I love it. <laughs> I'm just going to say I love it because I like it. I like I like the change. You know, yeah. we've. We've we've seen a lot of of great moments in streetwear. We've seen this investor community have a stake in what streetwear is doing. There's money in it right now, mm-hmm. but what people are capitalizing on solely relies on things that are negative, mm-hmm. uh, envy, right, uh, insecurity, a jealousy. This is what fuels streetwear. Yeah, if you are, if you think about that's it, that's what right? fuels hype. Exactly, that's what fuels hype, and it's hard to create a business model around things that are negative mm-hmm. because, I mean, if you do the math, they'll think it's okay. Two negatives equate to a positive, but a, I mean, eventually, it won't, last forever. it won't last forever, right? Yeah, that's why I love when you know things like. Um, I would say like nonprofits and things that are like about positivity, about some sort of change. They seem to have a, a much longer standing longevity um, most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I might be wrong about that. But you had a question for me. Yeah. What was the question? Uh, okay. So going back to like Instagram and consumerism, do you think that Instagram plays or I guess like, how do I phrase this? Does social media play a factor in your spending habits? Does social media play a factor in my spending habits? I think so. It definitely controls me a little bit more, mm-hmm. right? Because oftentimes in order to see things like lookbooks, in order to see things like previews, you'd have to be on a forum, you'd have to be on a website and being on a desktop computer, especially in like going back a few years ago, it was a lot easier to purchase shit. Knowing a lot of people who, you know, were like constant buyers and like things of that nature, you had an autofill. (laughs) So you could autofill the shit out of that and just purchase it within an instant. But it's it's a lot like a mirage 
when it comes to social media and my purchasing habits, right? Mm-hmm. I'll be on a lookbook or be on a preview or a sponsored ad, which is f- super popular now. And I'll click shop now and go instantly to the exact item that I'm looking at. Now I'll go as far as to reading the description, looking at the sizes available, adding it to my cart, but I'll never actually purchase it because it's so many steps to get to that point of being like, all right, I want that, Mm -hmm. that I've been able to collect myself at a certain (laughs) point and take a step back and be like, they fucking got me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Attractive things, good looking clothes on good looking people will always persuade people to to end up purchasing it. Mm-hmm. Especially if you see your favorite celebrity, if you see your favorite influencer wearing it. But I think social media in general, it, it, it kind of plays this role into, into consuming things and like, it's like a bump, a bump of like Coke. Not to say that I've ever tried it, but I'm saying like it is an, a, a, an enhancer of like your purchasing methods. You yeah. know what I mean? It gives you everything you need packaged into the quote unquote, why should you buy this? This is why, mm-hmm. right? This person that you like is wearing it. This is really cool outfit. Don't you want to have this really cool outfit? Oh shit. Like you've been searching this shit up on Google. We have the algorithm now. Now you look at it <laughs> on Instagram. I know you want to buy it. Yeah. And it, it kind of puts you in that position where it's like, holy shit, like they know what I want and I, I, I feel like I got to do it, which is why people become impulsive about things. But for myself, at least, I don't ever get that far mm-hmm. knowing that, I mean, I'll add it to the cart, but that's literally it. And, um, and yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it does play a role, but I don't think for myself it's gotten me to like the like final point often. <laughs> it, yeah. it doesn't happen often for myself. What about you? Uh, I'm the same way. Um, I think just how my mind is set up in every in everything I think about, I like the chase. You know, I sometimes I don't like it when I see everything I want laid out in front of me. When it's too easy, I'm just like, okay, it's right there. Right. But then it's like, I don't need it right now. So I'll see the same ads. I'll see the same like shop now, and yeah, I'll I'll be like you. I'll look at the website. Add it to cart, $5 shipping, no, no thanks. I won't do it. That's a blessing, $5 shipping. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, like if I see shipping, I won't do it. But yeah, like if I just, if you make it too easy for me, it makes me not want it anymore. I want to be able to still search up things and like find things. I don't know. I like to just, I like window shopping, especially online. If I just like come up across like a random website and I'm like, oh, I've never heard of this brand. Let me read about it. Maybe I'll buy something if I read into it more. But if it's just laid out in front of my face on Instagram, it looks like a scam to me or it's just too good to be true where I just don't want it. You like the thrill of buying things. Yeah. You like, um, it's called uh, Maslow's Hierarchy of, of Needs. I think it's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. But essentially you rely on tank on empty and tank on full. That's how you live right now. It's yeah. either like I'm desperate and I, and I, and I need shopping to suffice and to like feel better about purchasing something or you're on full and you're like, oh, I got everything I need, but I just, I just need the thrill again. Like I need the thrill of like being on the cusp of like me not getting it and like buying it. And then it's like, oh, it's like my fix. Excuse me. My fix. <laughs> David White Claw Wednesday. But yeah, like I'm I was very much like that. It's kind of like um 
when I first got introduced to Supreme and I finally, oh my God, this was the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> I was like on the, the, the forums heavy. This was like a year after I figured out what Supreme was and I would go on every day and be like, why is it all the good shit sold out? But after a little research, I figured out like, okay, Thursday, 8 a.m., be on the fucking site, right? Uh-huh. And uh, knowing how, how hard it was to get it, I just assumed maybe I should just buy everything that comes out. <laughs> you know what I mean? To make up for, for, for missed opportunities. Yeah. So maybe the first seven or eight orders I made on Supreme, this was spring, summer, 2003. Oh, fall, winter, 2012. Oh my God, best collection ever. Um, that was Kate Moss, I think. And uh, I bought everything. <laughs> every week I'd buy something. Maybe like two or three pieces every every week. And I finally figured it out, right? I was yeah. I was beyond, uh, it was fucking ecstasy, right? It was <laughs> uh-huh. amazing. Um, but uh, eventually, like, that high died down. <laughs> I was like, okay, like, Damn it! My alarm's waking me up at seven thirty. Here I here I go again. Like, yeah. gotta get on the computer. Like, oh, I don't want to go back to sleep. Like, it's my only day off. Like things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But um, I totally forgot the, the the point that I was getting to. But yeah, essentially, um, yeah, that's kind of. I actually don't know what point I'm trying to get to there. <laughs> it's okay. I'm trying to tie it back to something, and I was like, I don't even know what I'm tying this back to. But yeah. essentially, what we're trying to say is that at the end of the day, that you know, social media does play a big role into into what what sort of, and I'm going to say predominantly negative traits it feeds. You know, when I do speak of Maslow's, you know, hierarchy of needs there are sort of these like bottom feeder needs that I feel like we have to constantly feed on a day-to-day basis. And it all comes down to your like personal self. You know, Mm -hmm. if you have insecurities, if you have, if you're a very jealous person, very envious person, some of the, you know, if you're going to touch back to the BC of, of Christ, you're, we're talking like the, deadliest sins right you're talking about the horsemen of the apocalypse right Mm -hmm. like these are the traits right and streetwear just has a weird way of tickling those traits you know what i mean it's the root of all evil right exactly and i think streetwear is rooted more so nowadays into those traits than it was previously because for us at least streetwear is very much like i just i want to know Mm-hmm. I want to know things, right? Uh, I want to, I want to be a part of the community. That was another big thing. I want to buy. If I buy this, I'm a part of the community. Mm-hmm. I'm not buying this to be like, hey, fuck the rest of you. Like, look what I have. It was never about that. And I don't think it ever was. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, lines are there for a reason. You get there, you get there early. You get the line. You get the product. Like that. It's just the game. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that the person in front is like, hey, fuck you guys in the back. Like this is what I got. I'm selling it to you for six hundred dollars. Like, what's up? So just to think about what, where we stand with it today, it's, it, it's still very interesting to me, you know, and yeah. coming to, and, and it, it's not until this episode where I, I'm now just realizing that those are the traits that are extremely like they're heightened when it comes to this, this industry nowadays. You know yeah, what I mean? I feel like, I feel like a lot of the people that were around, a lot of the people that are, you know, doing creative things like, there is a sense of like, why are you doing this? 
mm-hmm. you know, and it does sort of not rub me the wrong way, but it, it does make me cautious, you know, mm-hmm. because whether it's one person listening to this or a thousand people listening to this, we will not change our opinion in how we feel about things. Right. Yeah. We don't, we don't get envious of other podcasts or other people who are in the same space. We, we do this because we just like doing this. So especially when it comes to like this world of like, I don't know. I, I see a lot of things when it comes to like DJing nowadays, especially because I follow a lot of them on Twitter and stuff. And we're but just in that world. We're now. in that world of like performers and, and things of that nature. But you, you you tend to see a lot of like a certain world, a certain industry and, and what it is to be real and what it is to be fake. And uh, I think we've gone through a, a, a certain trajectory of within the streetwear industry to see like okay, like we can tell if you're like in, in this for the long haul, you're in this because you truly appreciate streetwear and what that means and what kind of person that makes you versus like being in here just because you know, like, yo, I saw this on eBay and this is going to flip for a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You could be a reseller and be a part of the community. But for those of you that are just like, Hey, I saw a line. I'm just going to wait in the line too and just buy whatever you guys are buying. <laughs> That's a completely different story. Yeah. But yeah. And I think on, on, on that note, I think we got very introspective, very like deep. always. But I think this one in particular it made me—it definitely made me reflect on, like, a, an actual explanation of why it is, why we do the things that we do. Yeah, you know, especially now, you know, especially now. So, I would say on that note. This is the end of my TED Talk. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks Um, for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you guys listening on a weekly basis. Man, the amount of listens, the amount of support, uh, the amount of questions that you guys send, the amount of interaction, engagement, all that fucking matters to us. We wouldn't Mm -hmm. be here without you guys. Every episode is done for us, but also done for you guys too. So we appreciate that you guys actually enjoy listening to this. as always, please follow us on all of our social at No Chance Radio. That's Instagram. That's Twitter. That's fucking SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Shit, if you want to follow our Eventbrite, go ahead and follow our Eventbrite yes. too. That's where we announce all of our events and shit. Um, yes, just keep interacting with us. Please, please, please. If you have any questions or comments or feedback, send them to we Melanie. Love it. Yeah, DM me. <laughs> send them to Melanie. She will answer them. We will answer them on the podcast and all those things. Um, man, like I, I can't appreciate you guys enough. Please keep listening. Keep supporting. Give us feedback. Tell us what you want to hear in the podcast, um, who you want to have on the podcast. Mm -hmm. If you have a brand, if you're looking to start a brand, you want to be on the podcast and talk about it. um, Let us know. We'll consider it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, we'd love to have you on. Um, Be prepared for uh, some feedback, but we'd love to have you on. And on that note, we will see you next week. Peace. Bye. Bye.